0: Good morning. Isn't it fun when you walk up here and you pull up your notes and all you see is a blank page? It's always fun. So, yes. All right. So while I get this figured out, I am Jonathan, and I work with the church full time. And one of my roles that I that I oversee is worship in our church. All right. So before we get going, I you know I I have this this struggle to talk about worship, and it's because. There's a lot of things that we do, that we call worship, that is very cultural, that's not necessarily biblical, right? Um, And if you can travel anywhere in the world, you you go to a different church around the world, you'll see the way they worship looks different from the way we worship, the same God. And it's not not wrong, it's different. And I think so often what we do is we spend time and energy talking about who's doing it the right way. We talk about, well, they have a big band and they, they have a fog machine and they worship on, on stage. They have lights and we don't. So we are more spiritual, it, but they are more spiritual, right? We try to compare based on how we do, what we do on Sunday. And today, my, my goal is to challenge you to put everything you believe about worship on the altar and, and question, is this, is this biblical or is it, is it cultural, right? And my, my desire this morning is to, is to bring you back to what is the goal of worship. What do we do when we say we worship God? What does that mean? As an individual, as a believer, what does that mean? As a church, when we get together, what does that mean? And when we sing songs, what does that mean when we talk about worship? That's my, my desire this morning, okay? So before I get going, I want to I wanna share a story. How many of you like stories? Kiddos, any kiddos? Okay, this is more of an illustration more than a story, so I hope you can track with me. So imagine, imagine you are, you you are you hear this news, right? You hear about this this crazy news that, that Jesus is going to be in Boise. You're like, okay, dude, stop right there. What are you talking about? You know, <laughs> this isn't even biblical. But kind of track with, just kind of go with me, okay? So you hear a rumor that there's a parade, there's a you know this thing going on downtown, and on a float, Jesus is going to be on it. Okay, you first laugh. You think, okay, this guy's whacked out. I should unfriend him on Facebook, first of all, right? But then you're like, you know, it, what, what if, right? So you're curious. So you, you decide to you know, say, I'm going to go to the family downtown on this day, on this weekend, and see what happens. I'm going to check it out. So you get, you get your family, you get your lawn chair, and you go downtown for this parade, right? And you have a seat, and you're waiting to see what, what's going to happen. And then, way out there on the street you see a lot of commotion going on. A lot of, not angry mob commotion, but happy mob commotion, right? People are surprised and shocked and a lot of, lot of happy noises from people. And wondering, what's, what's happening there? What is going on? Is that, is that really Jesus? Could it be possible? Like, no, it cannot be possible. There's no way it can be Jesus. And then as this parade, this float where the commotion is going, gets closer and closer to you, people that are near you are running ahead to see what's going on. And they're coming back saying, it is Jesus. I, I really think it's Jesus. And now you're getting a little worried. Like, is that, can that be true? Can it really be Jesus? And then the, the mob, this happy mob, is getting louder and louder and closer and closer to you. Okay. And then now, now you're on a place where you can see the person who's on the float. And the moment you see this person, you right away know that this is Jesus. And it makes no sense. It makes no sense, right? It makes no logical sense that Jesus can be on a float in Boise, Idaho. No way! So you think, what is going on? How, how is that he is here? He's in town, and I'm seeing him right now face to face. You're freaking out. Can you believe that, right? So you are screaming. You are ecstatic. You are going nuts. And people around you are going nuts. And there's all this commotion and noise and celebration. And this float comes right in front of you. And all of a sudden, that float stops. And again, there's more commotion. So what's what's happening? What did it stop, right? And and you notice that the person, the Jesus, who's on the float, gets off the float and he starts walking. And he's walking towards you. You're not know, wondering what's going on over here. Why is he walking towards me, right? And that moment you realize that all the noise around you, people that are shoving you and pushing you around, it doesn't matter anymore. You don't feel any of that shoving and pushing anymore, all the screams the noises that you've been, you're hearing all along it disappears, you don't hear anything at all, all you see is this person is walking towards you and you are just st- stuck in this in this, in this, in the, in this gauge, you're just looking at him and then he walks towards you and he walks really close to you he stands right in front of you and looks you in the eye what would you do? What would your response be if that really happened? Right? You know, I think so often we are really good at celebrating Jesus from afar. We're good at that. We can sing, we can shout, we can dance, but we don't very often experience God face-to-face, near you. Because when that happens, there's no singing anymore. There's no shouting anymore. You're on your ground the ground, on your face, saying, God, I don't deserve you. I am unworthy. You are so good. You're so great. You're so powerful, and I'm so unworthy. And I want this story to kind of sit in your mind as we talk, and, and I want you to think about how do you worship God? As a person, as a believer, how do you worship God? As a church, in every way, how do you worship God? Okay, so... Um, singing is mentioned a lot in the Bible, just so you know. We are, we, are, we are mandated, we are commanded to sing in church together. It's mentioned more than 1,100 times in the Bible about singing and music. Um, and there's over 400 times singing is mentioned in the Bible. And over, I think, 50 times it's been commanded us to sing together. Okay, Jesus himself sang. So there's enough evidence that singing is a big deal. All right. So the first thing is, Worship is ascribing that He is God. The first step in worshiping God is ascribing that He is God. Now, what I mean by that is, is, is us having a God-sized opinion, a God-sized view of who God is. Worship begins when we know that He is God. How often have we made God into a smaller person, right? Right? Maybe your reverence to God isn't that great. We we sang some really cool songs this morning about how great God is. Do we really believe that? But how true, truly great and amazing God is. Psalms 19 says, oh, by the way, if you have no Bibles, please raise your hand. We'll have someone who can bring it to you. If you have your phone that you can use, do that. If you may, we need your Bible today. Just so you know, we need your Bible today. So Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. When we sing about, when we sing, when we ascribe to God his greatness, we are singing to him about him. We're singing songs about God. We sing songs like Holy, 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 right? All creatures of our God and King. 10,000 reasons, or oh praise his name. These songs talk about who God is. And if we don't have a, a godly view of who God is, these songs are meaningless. We're not worshiping God truly. And so often I think we, we blatantly lie by not really meaning the songs we sing. So when we have a godly view, a godly perspective of who God is, then we are in a place where we accept who we are. Worship is accepting that I'm not God. That's the second part of worship. and I have a godly view of who God is, then I have a real view of who I am. I want you to think about that. How often do you think you're God? Did you play God in your life? And I'm sure all of you say, well, I know God is great, God is big, and I'm human. and I We know that in our head, and I'm not, I'm not that great. But the way we handle our finances, the way we handle decisions, the way we handle a lot of things in our lives doesn't seem that way very often, does it? We love to play God. We do. We all do. We love control. We love to control people. We love to control our lives. The more you, you have a godly view of God, the more he will transform the way you see yourself. Psalms 8 says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. That is his, David's view of God. What is man that you are mindful of him? the son of man that you should care for him. The more we are amazed at God's holiness and glory, the more we see our human darkness. The more we are amazed at God's power, the more we see our weakness. The more we are amazed by God's purity and justice, the more we see our own wickedness. So this morning I want to ask you, I want to call the band to come back for a few songs. I want to ask you, what is your view of God in relation to you? Do you really think that you are anything, anyone worthy of God's goodness? Or do you truly believe that God's grace in His mercy is, is by His goodness that you are alive, that by His goodness that you have, have a job, that it's by His goodness that you have health. It's by His goodness that every breath you breathe is by His goodness. Is that the way you see yourself? Or do you put a lot of faith and trust in your education, in your accomplishments at work, in your skills that you've developed in doing different tasks? Is that that where you put your trust in? I, I want you to think about this because you and I, we cannot worship God if we don't see God for who he is. We cannot. We cannot worship God if you don't realize that you are in need of God for every little thing. Everything is in his hands. We don't deserve anything. We don't deserve anything we have right now. It's by his grace and by his mercy alone. And we're going to sing a couple of songs, and I want you to think about those two things. Think about, are you ascribing to God his greatness, and are you accepting that you are not God? Okay. Please be seated. Worship is not a ritual, right? Worship is not a ritual. Every other religion has a ritual for worship. We don't have a ritual. This is a response to God. Our act of worship is a response to God. It's not us mimicking. Worship is not mimicking what other churches are doing, what, you know, what they're doing in a bigger church or a better church, and to make it sound the way they make it sound. That's not the point. The point is us being motivated and moved to do what God wants us to do here, now. You know, I've said this before, that we sing songs from David, right? We take songs, the psalms that David wrote, and we make them into songs that we can sing today. And very often, well, always, David's songs were songs that he wrote based on the relationship that he had with God. We take those songs and we hope to have that relationship with God by singing them. That's not the way it's supposed to look like. If you had to sing a song today to God, what would that be? Where you are right now, what song will that be? Will that be saying, God, I, I don't know you. I don't know if you care enough for me. Will that be a song that says, God, I, I need to have more faith in you. I don't trust you enough. I doubt. I'm fearful. I'm anxious about tomorrow. Help me. And... Truly, that song that you may sing to God is more authentic, is true worship to God than you singing any other song that you can copy. So we learned about how worship is ascribing that he is God. Worship is accepting that I am not. The next thing is worship is acknowledging that God is near. That God is near. The more we have a godly image of who God is, and a more realistic image of who we are in the sight of God and to realize that God in spite of who he is is near me and near you should mess you up remember the story we spoke about earlier about Jesus walking towards you that should that should mess us up so bad that we cannot even talk and the truth is God is always near us he's always with us whether we know it or not. You know, God's majesty and holiness brings us to a point of silence, that we know that our words cannot express what we feel towards God. Psalm 62 says in verse one, for God alone my soul waits in silence, from him comes my salvation. In verse five it says, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. We call it lingering in worship. Where we play music. We don't have words to sing. And something beautiful about this, about lingering in worship, is, um, and if, if this verse, if you haven't read this before, I, I, I recommend, I plead with you to open your app or your Bible to Zephaniah 3, verse 17. Zephaniah 3, verse 17. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. I love that. He will quiet you by his love. He will still your heart with his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. The beauty of this is when we recognize that God is near us and we have nothing, nothing to bring to the table, God sings over us. When our singing stops and we have no words, no emotions to to express what we feel. God is singing over us. Isn't that beautiful? God is encouraging you. God is giving you insight. He's giving you promises. He's talking to you. He's ministering to you because He is close to you. He says, okay, finally you're listening to me now. Finally you stop talking. I'm here. I'm with you. He's rejoicing over you. He's celebrating who you are in Him. And I think so often we miss that. We miss that. We're so busy with life. And we we somehow believe, whether it's taught or not, we believe that we have to come on Sunday morning to listen to the band play for me to worship God. When we can recognize that God is near us every day of the week, He's always with us. When was the last time that you really experienced God in that way? Where you feel so unworthy and you feel God's presence close to you? and you are undone. When did that last happen to you? The next thing is, worship is aligning with God through repentance and restoration. If you look at the Bible, time and time and again, when someone saw God in a vision, they were face down and saying, God, I am unworthy. I don't deserve, because I am a man of unclean lips. That's what Isaiah says in Isaiah 6. I'm going to die, because I'm unclean. Whenever you experience God, it will lead, it should lead to repentance, to confession. If you are someone who can come here or go to any church Sunday after Sunday and rejoice and celebrate during worship, during singing or anything that happens over here, but you are living in deliberate sin against God, that is not worship. That is not worship. And I I have to say this with humility to you, and I want you to hear me out, that I and the worship team, we don't want to entertain that. We, don't, we cannot control, I cannot control who's here and who's not here and where your heart, I don't know that, right? But I don't want to have a part in that. I don't want to have a part, if you are living in willful sin, and yet you are celebrating and, and rejoicing over here, that is not worship, because I got to give an account to God someday, but how I led worship, how I sang, how I led people in worship in our team, and that is not what I want to be held accountable for. Does that make sense? So when you experience God in a powerful way that he's near you, he will reveal to you where you need to confess. And confession and repentance should be, should be a very visible expression of how we worship God. There's a really, really cool story um, in Ezra and Nehemiah. These two, these two books are beautiful. You should read them if you have at the time. It's this time where Nehemiah is sent back from, the, from Persia, right, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and the temple. So he's sent back with money from the Persian king, which is pretty awesome. And, and Ezra is the chief, the high priest at this time, and they build the walls. They lay the foundation of the temple, they build a temple, and then Ezra reads the scroll. He reads the, the, the Torah, right? The law of the Lord. And they've been so much away from their people that they do not know the language anymore. So there are Levites who are, who are translating to the people as Ezra reads the book, the scrolls. Pretty amazing, and they're teaching people as he reads the scrolls. And then as they, hear, as they hear the scrolls being read, the law being read, people just start crying. There's confession. There's rejoicing at the same time. This is what it says in Ezra 10, verse 1. It says, While Ezra prayed and made confessions, so he starts the confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God. A very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. Now Nehemiah, the same account is said in Nehemiah as well. Nehemiah 8, it says, This, day, this is what the Levites are saying. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, this is Ezra saying to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing. For this day is holy to our God. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I'm I'm sure you've heard that phrase very often, right? Out of context. (laughs) This is being said to a generation of people who were weeping before God. And it says that there was so much crying that people do not know, are they crying for repentance or are they crying out of joy? Because it was all mixed. There's all mixed emotions over here. Because, because when you repent before God, is then's then is when you see joy in your life. There is no joy, there's no celebration without repentance. I'm going to say that again. There's no joy or celebration without repentance. When was the last time you repented before God? When was the last time you said you're sorry to God? I'm not just saying say sorry, but, but truly repenting before God for what you've done. And this is the thing you will not repent if you don't have a godly view of who God is. You will not repent if you don't have a, a true view of who you are before God. You will not repent if you don't realize how close God is to you. I'm going to have the band come up again for one more song. I want to ask you this question When was the last time you were broken before God? You really wept before God. You know, I think I think somehow men, you know, we, we have this belief that real men don't cry, right? <laughs> real men don't cry. The truth is godly men godly men cry. I can show you time and time and again in the Bible, but how godly men who followed God wept for their sins and for the sins of those around them. Weeping is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign that shows where you get your strength from. Weeping is not a sign of weakness. Weeping is a sign that shows where you get your strength from, okay? So we're gonna sing one more song. And as you kind of wondered, we began with a full band, right? <laughs> then we had just the guitar and piano. We're gonna sing only with our voices for this song. And this is because we don't want any, any distraction. Music is not wrong, (laughs) but it's good to sometimes take that away so you can focus on what you're singing. And Brennan and I have had this talk about how do we do worship in church, right? And we haven't arrived. We don't have it figured out, okay? We're still learning and asking God, God, what does worship look like for our church for today, for this season? And I want you to sing along with us. Holy, holy, holy. Lord, Lord God Almighty, right? And... And I want you to think about all the things we've heard so far, all right? And then I'm going to lead you through to a time of worshiping God in silence, okay? All right. You know, I was just thinking about what we were singing. The, one of the biggest lies that the church in general can tell people, not that we do it every Sunday, <laughs> uh, but we can, with it knowing, say this, that if you want to experience God in a profound way, you have to come to church. Okay? And I'm happy that we can sing together, we can rejoice and celebrate together, but the truth is God is everywhere. Amen? You can experience God the same way that you do right now, wherever you are. And I'm praying that what you've learned today will, will communicate that you can worship God beyond just singing, by acknowledging who God is. Okay. You know, um, I'd love to sometime do a word study on the word, Hebrew, on the word worship in the, in the Hebrew language. There's more than one meaning for the word Hebrew. Gosh, more than one meaning for the word worship in the Hebrew language. I'm tracking. But in, in Greek, the word is proskenuo, and we get the word prostrate, right? Face down from that word. That's the meaning of the word worship in the, in the Greek. And I think in our, in our culture, we, we don't kneel much to pray, do we? You know, we, I think it was a thing in the past um, of kneeling down when you pray. We don't, definitely don't fall on our face before people. We don't have that culture of, of having the form of reverence to, to someone or, some, or deity even. Uh, if you go to Asia, if you go to India or China or other countries, you'll see a lot of people who will fall at someone's feet when they come home. Like I remember, uh, when a grandpa, someone's grandpa came home, all the kids would fall at their feet because they knew that that was the way they would do it. That was culture, that was tradition. And every birthday, the kids would fall at the feet of their parents just to honor them, not worship, just to honor them, right? And so we have, there's a culture of people who fall at, at, at someone's feet, but we don't have that in our culture. But I think there's some value in, in practicing that, not as a ritual, but when God leads you to raise your hands, to raise your hands and surrender, right? When God leads you to be on your knees before him and pray for someone, then we do that. When you feel overwhelmed with God's presence, of his majesty, of his love, of his power, it's okay if you go face down on the ground and say, God, I am unworthy. I am unworthy. How do you still put up with me? Why do you still love me? And then confess your sins to God. So I... I want to give this time the last few minutes of you worshiping God without any singing, without any music, okay? I want you to open your Bibles on your app, on your phone, or with the Bible itself to Psalm 103, Psalm 103. This is a very well-known psalm. I'm sure all of you have memorized this at some point in your life, at least some parts of it, and uh, if this means that you find a corner, do it. If this means you want to sit right here, do it. If this means you have children with you, all the better. Because they have to see us as parents worship God in spirit and in truth. They have to see us as people who model what, what it is to humble ourselves and repent before God. When was the last time you, your children saw you confess before God and be broken? How, how can our children know what it is to be truly a follower of Christ. We don't model those things to our children. So this morning, if, if this means that you read three verses and you stop, you cannot go any further, that's okay. okay. These are the things we spoke about today about worship. And read the Psalms with this in mind. And if this means you teach your children what worship is, from this passage, do so. If this means that you confess to God because you have been faking it every Sunday, do so. May that be your act of worship this morning. Amen? Because are tracking with me, so good. So I, I'm going to give you some time, okay, to be quiet. There's going to be distractions, kids crying, right, fussing. That's life. But the more and more you focus on God's Word, on what He's doing, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. So spend time, a couple of minutes, reading this and worshiping God through that, okay? Guys are cool with that? Okay. Um, I'm gonna pray and then I'll let you guys do this for a few minutes and then I'm gonna have Bren come forward and, and close the service. Okay? So let's let's pray. Dear God, it's it's really hard to talk about worship. It's really hard, God, because so often the more we formalize it, the more we ruin it. The more we put structure to it, the more we destroy it, God. And I pray, God, this morning, that we will realize that this is all based on a realization of who you are and how close you are to us, God. And God, this morning I pray that we will understand the value of confessing, of repenting, that we may have joy in you. God, many of us don't have, or don't understand, or haven't experienced the joy of the Lord. And I pray, God, this morning that you'll fill us, fill our hearts with joy. Fill us, God, with peace that passes all understanding. And as we read your word, may your word come alive and may we worship you through your word, God. We love you, God. In your precious name we pray. Amen.